Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Quick Hits. My name is Blake Pace. It is, like I said, Monday, April 27th. The NFL draft has come and gone. We are now left without sports for who knows. This was the last thing that we had on the docket for a while. Uh, hopefully some of these leagues start making their way back. Uh, but we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Um, we'll touch on a, a full recap of the draft, go through my favorite and least favorite drafts, um, dive into what picks I've really liked, where um, where I had evaluated the draft as well, too. We'll take a look at, you know, like I said, I narrowed my list down to a top 100 prospects, and the goal for next year is to maybe bump that to 150 or 200. Um, I've already got the database for this past year's tape for the 2021 prospects, so I've got that all there, and then uh, we'll be able to take an early look at some of those guys, and then of course, hopefully, when college football does come back, um, we'll get a full uh, full season of evaluation there as well, too. So we'll take a look at how I kind of how my prospects fell in this draft class, how my top 100, how many actually landed in the top three rounds. Um, like I said, take a look at my favorite and least favorite draft classes as well, too. Just real quick, and we'll touch on it later as well, um, very impressed with what a lot of teams did in this draft class. I narrowed these lists, favorite and least favorite, to five. Um, my five least favorite was pretty easy to do, um, but you know, I was going through my top five favorite drafts at a certain point. I was like, okay, maybe I want to make it a top 10, and then it was like, okay, but if I make it a top 10, there's you know 13 or 14 teams that I want to include in there. So I had to, I'm going to do some honorable mentions for those, but there, there's, I was able to finally narrow down my, my favorite top five. But um, we'll kick off with kind of the latest news ever since the draft, um, and that is uh, Jameis Winston, former Buccaneers quarterback um, and, and previously free agent um, after the Buccaneers decided to change things with Tom Brady and, and bring him down to Tampa Bay. Um, Jameis Winston has signed a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. He will be the backup for Drew Brees um, and, and have some time to mentor under this uh, under Sean Payton and Brees for the upcoming season and then hit the free agent market again. Um, most notably, uh, the guy to uh, recently do this was Teddy Bridgewater, and he walked himself into a pretty big contract with the Carolina Panthers. Jameis Winston hopefully um, wishes to do the same. I, I love it personally. Um, my big fit for him that I wanted when it was clear that teams didn't view him as a starting quarterback for next season, I, I wanted Pittsburgh. I thought the Steelers would be a really good fit. You saw their backup quarterback play last season was abysmal with Devlin Hodges, Mason Rudolph. I don't like either of those guys. Um, of course, Big Ben coming back after you know injuries for a few seasons, a little banged up, a little old. And I thought that that would be a cool fit for Jameis uh, beyond the Ben Roethlisberger era. No idea how long Big Ben continues to play, but I just thought Jameis in the uh, black and yellow with Mike Tomlin, and I, I just I thought it was a real gritty, cool fit. Um, but then when this came out, I, I kind of flipped the script on on Pittsburgh, and I really do feel like this is has to be one of the best possible scenarios uh, for Jameis to to go in and, and learn from some of the better minds in football. And I, I think you take a look at you know, where Jameis Winston is kind of lacking um, talent or the, the mental capacity to be a starting franchise quarterback, and it's the efficiency. He is one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the league. You know, he threw for 30 interceptions last season. Um, he makes very poor decisions. Uh, some people were blaming his eyesight. He got LASIK eye surgery this past offseason. Uh, they called him Jameis Squinston. 
Um, and, and the turnovers were a problem. Fumbles, interceptions, wrong reads. And now he comes into um, a city and organization that has one of the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history in Drew Brees. He's always at the top in completion percentage, uh, low interception totals, a very smart quarterback, um, and in a, in a fun offensive system with Sean Payton. Those two have crafted one of the most efficient offenses of the last decade consistently. And Jameis now can, can sit back, can learn from these two, hopefully can take in a lot from Sean and Drew, where we realize, okay, he's, you know, he's taking this time to understand that what has been wrong with his game, what has been wrong with his preparation, how he's represented himself in the face of the NFL. And there are two great minds that, that are going to help him. And, you know, we'll talk later about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers and, uh, you know, some quarterbacks aren't really that willing to be um, instructors these days for younger quarterbacks. They don't like the idea of helping groom a quarterback into potentially replacing them. Um, but Drew Brees, he knows that next season is his last year. He has already signed a contract with, I believe, NBC to join on as an analyst uh, once the 2020 season wraps up. Now, of course, if he wanted to come back, that's very well possible. Those contracts aren't, you know, set in stone. As we saw, Gronk left Fox to come back to the NFL just as easy as he left the NFL to go to Fox. But Drew Brees knows at least he's committed at this point in time that this is his last season in the NFL. And so um, he's always been a guy that I think is willing to help out those around him. He did a lot for Teddy Bridgewater. He's done a lot to help out Taysom Hill a bit as well, too. Um, and of course it paid dividends for Teddy getting a big contract in a landing spot where he is, um, hopefully going to be the, the face of the franchise for the Carolina Panthers. So Drew Brees is going to, is going to want to work with Jameis Winston. I think that this could be a huge part of his legacy too, in, in grooming, um, a quarterback that has a lot of raw potential, great arm talent, um, you know, a freak athlete. But he just needs to refine these tools. He needs to figure out the ways to better read a defense, to not force all these awful throws um, in, into you know double coverages or or you know getting getting baited by the defense. You know, Breeze could you know do New Orleans even a bigger solid if if the time comes where Jameis you know say Breeze does miss a game or two, or say they throw Jameis in in a Week 17 game just because they've already secured their playoff spot and it's you know rest Drew Breeze. Jameis comes out, has a good game you know, maybe he earns himself the right to be the next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. If he's, if he takes those steps, you know, the opportunity is available for 2021 where Jameis could have this one-year prove-it deal, get comfortable with the organization, get comfortable with Sean Payton, learn a lot from him and Breeze, and then come out in 2021 and, and have a chance to uh, be the heir apparent to Breeze in New Orleans. So I think it's a perfect situation. Um, I think, you know, especially for the Saints, even the fact that they need a backup quarterback, they didn't draft one. Um, I had in, in my final three-round mock, I had them taking Jordan Love. They obviously did not. Um, they do need a backup quarterback. Taysom Hill, look, I love Taysom Hill. He's a fun little gadget on the field. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's not a starting quarterback in the league. Um, there's a, a reason why Taysom Hill was not the starter when Drew Brees went out and they valued Teddy Bridgewater above him, uh, Jameis Winston, is a better quarterback than Taysom Hill, and um, and I think that they needed a backup in case Drew does get hurt again. You know, he's been relatively healthy uh, ever since you know his days with the Chargers and that th those shoulder issues. Uh, but after missing last season for a little bit, get in a backup that you can trust or or that you can um, try and groom. 
If it doesn't work out, you, you spent $3 million, I believe, on him for that season. You let him go, and maybe he tries his luck somewhere else, and you search for that next franchise quarterback. But this has a real chance to, um, to work out perfectly for New Orleans and Jameis himself, too. You could be building for the future. Jameis could be resurrecting his career, and, and at the end of the day, um, I believe it's, it's, it's the best situation for him to go to. You know, like I, like I said, Pittsburgh would have been fun. I'm trying to think off the top of my head any other places where I would have wanted him to go. New England wouldn't bring him in. There's really no spots that I could think of. You know, teams that already have two quarterbacks making, you know, large salaries like the the um, like the Chicago Bears paying Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Um, Jacksonville doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. At the end of the day, you know, I'm surprised I didn't think of it as a, as a good spot. It seemed a little clunky just because of the fact that Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees are so efficient and Jameis is the opposite of that. But, you know, you're not asking him to come in and be the starter. You're asking him to learn from two great football minds to kind of retool his his vision of the field. And and it, at the end, if, if the Saints can at least get Jameis another contract with a different team, great. But this has potential to be to be the next face of New Orleans, and that, and that would be a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, not a whole lot of, of negative negativity toward that. Jameis, in my opinion, you know, I know Cam is still out there as a free agent, but um, you know, Jameis was probably the best available quarterback talent, uh, more reliable, just because Cam has been so banged up over the last few seasons and. And I'm glad he found a destination, and I, and I hope things work out for him because, like I said, the arm talent is there. He's an athlete. He wants to win. He won a lot at the collegiate level, um, and and if he can turn it around and minimize those mistakes, he could be a very good quarterback for for an NFL team. And and maybe that's the New Orleans Saints past the Drew Brees era. So let's uh, change gears. Like I said, we're going to talk about the NFL draft today. Uh, recapping the draft classes, I'm going to go through uh, my five least favorite drafts first. We'll start on a bad note, end on a good note, and I'll work my way up from five to one. And this isn't this is a combination of you just didn't have a lot of picks, and you, you didn't really land any guys that I loved with the picks, or you filled the wrong positions. Um, so let's work our way up from five to one, and um, you know. Forgive me if you've never heard me say this before, I'm not the biggest Bill O'Brien fan, and I wasn't a huge fan of his draft class. Now, they only had five selections. You know, they gave up some draft picks um, to get in Brandon Cooks. They gave away a draft pick um, for Laramie Tunsil to the Miami Dolphins. They uh, got a second-round pick from the Arizona Cardinals in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. But, you know, when it comes down to what this team really needed, I think they didn't hit on it that much. You know, there's holes all over still for me. There's still holes in the offensive line. Um, even with the receivers that they have now on the roster, a lot of them are very injury-prone. If you just take a look, Brandon Cooks has has legitimate concussion problems, and he's probably one or two away from being out of the NFL. Will Fuller has never been able to stay healthy. Um, and this was a deep wide receiver class, and they did take Isaiah Coulter at the end of the fifth round. But, you know, I think that the class was really 15 or 14 strong. I had 14 in my top 100. And, yes, it wasn't the biggest need that they have, but one that they sh certainly should have um, planned for because if both of those guys are injured and you're dealing with Kenny Stills as your wide receiver one by week four and Randall Cobb as your wide receiver two, uh, that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it against the Titans and the Colts that are hoping to make a comeback in Jacksonville who retooled on defense. So um, 
Didn't really love it there. They took two guys that were in my top 100, so I will give them credit for that. Uh, with their first pick, they took uh, Ross Blacklock, uh, who was my third-ranked defensive tackle at the beginning of the second round. Solid pick. Um, I, you know, they need a big plug in the front of that defense. Um, they followed up then in the third round, um, at the end of the third round, with Jonathan Greenard, who was my 13th-ranked defensive end. I think some guys were still, yeah, there was a number of guys that were still available, so I would have preferred a, a few other names to go there to them instead. Um, and then they followed up with Charlie Heck, an offensive tackle that didn't make my top 100, and John Reed, a corner. I just, I think, I just really think Bill O'Brien hasn't done himself any favors over the last few years. Um, they, you know, they gave Laramie Tunsil a, a massive contract extension. Who He's a talented left tackle, gets penalized a lot. They're working hopefully, to get a contract extension with Deshaun Watson. If I was to warn Watson, I'd say, hey, let's hold on. Let's let's not negotiate anything yet. I get the Texans are your organization. They made you the face of the franchise, but I'd be a little worried about tying myself to Bill O'Brien for the next six years or so. Um, and, and look, there just wasn't a lot of picks. I don't like the guys that they traded away for the draft capital they got in return. They did get two guys that I had in my top 100, but um, aside from that, I was I was left away unimpressed. If if you're replacing DeAndre Hopkins with David Johnson and Rock Blacklock, I don't think that's great value there. Um, and I, I just like I said, you know, there's too many holes on this team where you know you can only have five picks and you know expect to to really impress me. So um, they did get two guys I like, but they have my fifth least favorite draft um, of all 32 teams. Now on to number four, we're going to switch to the NFC, uh, and we're going to take the team that actually traded for Jadeveon Clowney from the Houston Texans, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it was the first year since 2013 that they did not trade out of the first round, and with their pick, they took a guy that I thought would definitely be available in the second round. Um, their first round pick, Jordan Brooks, was my eighth-ranked linebacker. He is an inside linebacker primarily, and they did need that. Um, so I can't really harp on not filling a position of need, but I did think he would be available toward the end of the second round, uh, maybe even early third. In the second round, in the middle, they took my ninth-ranked defensive end, Darrell Taylor. And like I said, if my eighth-ranked defensive end was available at the end of the third round, I think there were a lot of more um, talented edge rushers that would have been available um, in the middle part of the second round. Now they did fill up in the third round with a guy that I had a, that I gave a third round grade to on the interior offensive line, Damian Lewis. He was my fifth ranked guard center. Um, and offensive line is still is still a need for the uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. You always need to give more protection to Russell Wilson. Um, you know I love watching him run around in the backfield every every game and he makes magic, but we don't need it. You know if we can just keep a clean pocket for him. You know, imagine how much less he has to worry about, you know, pulling off magic if, if things were just layups for him. Um, so the, they address it there. Um, you take a look at what they did in, in day three. They took a tight end. They took a running back in G DJ Dallas. Uh, they did take a defensive end that I liked in Alton Robinson um, with the fifth round pick, which is which is pretty cool. Um, I am, um, you know, uh, being up in the Syracuse area and previously working for, um, for Syracuse's SB Nation page. Um, you know, Alden Robinson was definitely going to be drafted, and, and the fact that he fell to the fifth round, I think, is, is either right around there. I, I had him as a day three prospect. They go Freddie Swain in the sixth, and Steven Sullivan, another tight end in the seventh. Um, I think at the end of the day, it was just, you know, their first two picks that they landed on, it was a bit of a reach for both of them for me. I think Jordan would have been available at the end of the second or early third, and Darrell Taylor, 
you know, I wouldn't have been mad if he had ended up at the end of round three or early round four type of guy. Um, and so, you know, the Seahawks are known for trading back and, and getting good value there. And I think the time that they stood pat, uh, they reached just a little bit too much. So not a, not a huge fan of what the Seahawks did. Now, look, there aren't a ton of holes that they needed to fill. I always think you give offensive line help, like I said, and they addressed that in the third round. Um, you know, I, I would have used a, a pick on a defensive tackle. I would have thought about, you know, secondary help, which they didn't address with any of their picks. So I just think that a combination of reaching and not addressing some, some other uh, needs has them on the, on the least favorite list. Um, so that is uh, Seahawks at number four. At number three, we're going to flip back to the AFC, um, a team that really didn't have a lot of picks so in this draft, so I can't necessarily blame them. They didn't have many early picks either. Um, you know, if you take a look, four of their six picks were in day three, so at that point you're just hoping to steal some, some value there. Uh, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, I, I wasn't entirely impressed with what they did. They didn't have a single player drafted that was in my top 100 prospects. Um, their first round pick was on, or their second round pick, their first pick that they had in the draft was Chase Claypool, um, wide receiver slash tight end hybrid from Notre Dame, a guy that I probably would have had ranked as around, look, I had 15 wide receiver or 14 wide receivers in my top 100. He would have been in that 16-17 range, uh, but not worth a second round pick to me. Then they go Alex Highsmith, linebacker, definitely a need. And, and look, with them, I think they addr addressed a bunch of needs, but just they didn't get any guys that really pop off the page. Um, they, they got a bunch of, you know, depth guys, rotation guys, and, and when you don't have a lot of top picks, that's what you kind of have to um, resolve to, but look, there were top guys that I had on the board available um, in their early selections, and they, they went elsewhere, so, um, you know, for a team that you, you take a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers this upcoming season, if Ben returns back healthy and they don't have the awful quarterback play that they had last year um, after Big Ben went down, I think that they can have a much better season um, you know, you bring in a tight end like Eric Ebron, which, look, it, it didn't pan out in Detroit. It panned out in one season when he had Andrew Luck, and it was really bad last year. Maybe Big Ben is a guy that he can work with. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of the running back room that they had before the draft. Now they bring in Anthony McFarland Jr. from Maryland, um, and I think that that is a guy uh, who could probably, you know, be the top rusher for that team. I am not a... Um, gosh, what's his name? James Conner fan. I'm, I'm more of a Jalen Samuels type guy because I think he can do a little bit more in the pass game as well. Uh, but McFarlane's a good guy there. But look, there were running backs, receivers, linebackers available when they were picking. I mean, like I said, to, to come out of the draft, I think they were the only team, if I'm just taking a look, they're the only team in this draft class uh, to come out of it without a top 100 player, um, according to, to my rankings, of course. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I've been doing this for, you know, three, four years now. So look, you know, I'm, I'm obviously going to be wrong about guys, but from my perspective, you walk away, you have a second, a third, two fourths. Um, you should be able to land some top 100 talents in my eyes. And, and they came away with none. So the only reason that Pittsburgh is at three, and you say, okay, well, wait a minute, hold on, they didn't get any top 100 prospects, would that put them at number one? Not necessarily, because there are two teams here that I think had a, a really good opportunity to take very talented teams to the next level, to Super Bowl contenders, and massively flopped, in my opinion. 
And so we'll go to our number two team, and both of these teams are in the NFC. Uh, but at number two, I've got the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they did land four of my top 100 players, um, along with grabbing, you know, my 11th-ranked tackle at the end of the sixth round in Prince Tego Wanogu. Um, I had him as my, yeah, my 11th-ranked tackle. They got him very late. Um, but, look, I, I, I'm confused. I'm just confused at the end of the day with what the Eagles' approach necessarily was. Uh, they draft Jalen Rager, who, granted, I gave a first-round grade to. He was a first-round talent in my book. But I think there was a very clear drop-off from the number four wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, who was selected one pick after, and Jalen Rager. You know, Rager, they move on from a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who had a lot of drop problems, a, a speedy guy, but was, was hated by the Philadelphia fan base. And to me, this just screams Nelson Aguilar. Quick, small frame, a lot of drop problems, some slight injury concerns. I guess I guess the approach was, well, Justin Jefferson, we've already got a guy like Nelson Aguilar, we've got tight ends that are really good, we want that speedy guy, we want to find that Deshaun Jackson, even though you know we have Deshaun on the roster, he was hurt last year, we want a younger version of a guy like him. This isn't Deshaun Jackson, and Justin Jefferson is better than Alshon Jeffrey. They had a chance to get one of the best wide receivers in this draft, a guy that I think was right up there with Jerry Judy. I, I flipped between them three and four throughout the process, ended up giving Judy number three because I think he does a little bit more uh, in terms of like total, you know, game. But man, Rager, you know, that's a, that's a miss. That's a miss to me because you had a, a filthy receiver who's available and just went to the Vikings who, you know, is one of the better teams in the NFC still. A team that you, you you could end up seeing in the playoffs if you're still able to win the NFC East. And that guy that, that pick could come back to haunt them for a while because um, like I said in the first in, in last episode when talking about Justin Jefferson, the Bills traded away Stefan Diggs for that pick, and I think got a, a wide receiver that's better than Stefan Diggs. Now Rager, like I said, my fifth wing fifth wing. My fifth-ranked wide receiver, I think he has a lot of potential, but you're betting on a lot to work out in his favor to correct the drop problems. The safe pick was Justin Jefferson, and he's just, in total, the better wide receiver prospect. So that was my least, well, not my least, my second-least favorite pick of the first round. Um, and then they follow up in day two. They take Jalen Hurts. I gave a third-round grade. I, you know, take him in the second round, of course. I'm sure he probably would have gone to another team in round two as well. Um, I get what they're doing and what they're going to try and do. I get that Jalen Hurts, they envision this, you know, Philly, Philly special type offense where you've, you know, what New Orleans is doing with Taysom Hill, where you've got a guy who can be utilized in the run game. He can throw, he's a good athlete. And look, just like I was saying with, with, you know, New Orleans bringing in Drew Brees as kind of some injury protection. Yeah, I, I get it. Carson Wentz cannot be counted on at this point, you know, to stay healthy. We haven't seen it yet. So how can we say, yes, we're okay with not getting a, 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 a backup quarterback with a lot of potential? I totally get that. But the Eagles had two chances to really elevate themselves. 
ahead of the rest of the NFC East. You know, that division is very tight. It was very bad last year. Dallas was in the mix too, and we'll talk about Dallas. They did themselves way more of a favor than Philadelphia did, and Philadelphia really set themselves back to me with those first two picks. Um, and then, like I said, you know, taking a look at the rest of the class, Kayvon Wallace was my eighth-ranked safety. They were able to get him in the uh, in the uh, fourth round. They take uh, Davian Taylor in the third, go through the rest of the list. Jack Driscoll, uh, interior offensive lineman John Hightower, Sean Bradley, Quez Watkins, and Casey Tuhill uh, through the rest of the draft. Uh, none of those guys cracked my top 100 except for Kayvon Wallace, like I said. But, um, man, you take a look at a team that really could have catapulted themselves as to the cream of the crop of the NFC. Um, they took, with their first pick, a talented wide receiver, but one that wasn't a sure thing to me. You have to bet on a lot of upside and gamble that he he corrects the drop problems and can stay healthy. Um, and then on the other side, you got to worry a little bit about about Jalen Hurts. You know, I you, you quarterback wasn't in the top list of needs. Now, if you were, wanted to get him in round three or round four or take a quarterback late like some of these other teams did, you know, like the Colts being able to get Jacob Eason in round four, or the Jets and Bills drafting from and and um and sorry, I'm trying to remember his name, James Morgan in round four. Fine, but a second round pick, you can teams can win Super Bowls in day two of the draft. First round picks, the talent is there, that is great. But when we take a look at what the, my top five teams did on day two, they absolutely killed it and elevated themselves up to where I believe that they can be, you know, um, you know, deep playoff teams or potential Super Bowl caliber teams next season. So the Eagles didn't do that. They didn't knock it out of the park in day two. Day three, they got one guy that really fell off, you know, according to my board in, in Prince Tego Winogo at the end of the round, uh, at the end of round six. But man, I just they really didn't do enough to me, and I thought there was a lot of potential there with with like I said, you know, that you know pick in in the early twenties in both rounds one and two. They took you know a a guy that I wouldn't have a guy that. Sorry, let me try and say this just to, to recap. Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson would have taken him. And, and, and over Hurts, I mean, you could have addressed the defensive backs. You could have addressed offensive line. You could have redoubled up with wide receiver. I know you waited till day three to do that a few times. Um, think the secondary, you know, linebacker, like I said. You know, I think I had projected um, in the first round because I had them taking a wide receiver uh, with the Jalen Hurts pick instead, I think I had them taking Patrick Queen. You know, what a fit that would have been in the middle of their defense. Um, just really unimpressed with the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, who I was more unimpressed with, and this is just the big head-scratcher of the weekend to me, um, was the Green Bay Packers. I mean, what are you guys doing? Uh, look, Jordan Love, I've already harped on the pick. I gave a seven, eight-minute rant of, of how bad of a pick it was that the Packers were in the NFC Championship game and they spent their first-round pick on a developmental quarterback that needs probably three or four years to be a full-time starter. And, oh, by the way, you have Aaron Rodgers already. Then they go at the end of round two. They take A.J. Dillon. He was my ninth-ranked running back. He's that power running back. But wait a minute. You have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. You don't need A.J. Dillon. Then they followed up at the end of the third round. Josiah DeGuara, tight end. They're going to use him at H-back. They drafted a fullback in the third round. I was mad about the Jordan Love pick. I was really mad. 
but I understood what they were trying to do. I understood the long plan. Well, I didn't agree with it. I saw what they were doing. Day two blew my mind. They took a power running back when they've already got a top duo with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones is a touchdown scorer. All A.J. Dillon does is score touchdowns too. So you're already taking that part of Aaron Jones' game away from him. Fantasy guys, I'd be really upset too. And then uh, half an H-back? A fullback in the third round? I would have been mad with a fullback in the fifth or sixth. Those guys don't get drafted. They already said the plan was a was a Kyle Juszczyk role. Oh my god. They walk away with two top 100 players for me. I had a first round grade in Jordan Love. I got that he was a project. Still gave him a first round grade. I really love the upside of him. AJ Dillon I gave a third round grade too. Um, and, and there were several running backs still available uh, when the Packers were on the clock. But they didn't need to go any of those positions. The one team that stood in their way twice last year was the San Francisco 49ers. And they tore them apart in the run defense. They drafted a linebacker in the end of the fifth round and a defensive end at the end of the seventh. They didn't plug in the middle of the defense with a top defensive tackle. There were some definitely available. They spent three picks in a row on the offensive line, which I get. Always great to have depth there. They didn't draft a wide receiver. For Aaron Rodgers, the thing that frustrates me the most is I was so in on Matt LaFleur and this new era finally getting Aaron Rodgers some help because Mike McCarthy was gone. He never drafted help early on for Aaron Rodgers. He always had these scrubs that Aaron Rodgers makes look good and they go elsewhere and they're not bad. And it's like, hey, Aaron Rodgers is just one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time. He makes receivers look good and they don't draft a single guy that can help him out in 2020. That's what's frustrating. None of these guys that they selected help Aaron Rodgers out next season or the season after that. And by then, Aaron Rodgers is, what, 38, 37? On the tail end of his career, and we have officially wasted one of the greatest talents to ever step on a football field. It is so damn frustrating. Ooh. Okay, let's 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 wrap up with the good ones, and I, I understand we're, we're probably around the 31-minute mark right now, and um, pro- try and speed up my process with with my favorites real quick. But I wanted to give a shout out to some of the honorable mentions in here, um, the guys that didn't make my top five, but I thought did did a really solid job. Um, we'll start off with the the two teams in New York, the Giants and the Jets. Thought they knocked it out of the park. For the Giants, Andrew Thomas. Look, he was my fourth-ranked tackle, but he was, you know, one of the top four I gave a first-round grade on. Solid. Second round, Xavier McKinney. I'm an Antoine Winfield Jr. guy, but McKinney was my safety number two. Solid. Third-round pick, Matt Pert. He was the, uh, you know, the tackle that I kept off my top 100. He would have been there if that extended about five more people. So, uh, solid pick there, too. Darnay Holmes didn't have on my list, but in round five you get Shane Lemieux, interior offensive lineman who was in my top 100. I thought they did. I thought the Giants did a very solid job. They go linebacker, linebacker, linebacker in day three. Um, they they take all defense on on day three except for Shane. Um, but look, they did a solid job. 
The protection is now there for Daniel Jones. You have young, talented receivers, you know, a tight end like Evan Ingram. You didn't need to go out there and get a ton of weapons. They built up front. They built on the defense. Hats off to the Giants. The Jets love their draft as well, too. Got a couple Jets friends. Uh, I was texted through the draft. I thought they killed it. I was a little worried, of course, when Adam Gase is involved in any situation, but this was a Joe Douglas draft. First round, Mackay Becton. Sure, there's a concern. He has one bad offseason, and all of a sudden he's 400 pounds, but the upside is great. He was my third-ranked tackle. Second round, Denzel Mims, a guy that just kept falling and falling, found a great home with the Jets. He was my wide receiver eight, gave him a second, um, gave it him a second round grade. Come right back into the third round with my third ranked safety, Ashton Davis. Great pick. They get LaMichael Pirine on day three, a guy that um, can be a good complimentary role to Le'Veon Bell. And then in the fifth round, they take a guy that I had a top 100 grade on in Bryce Hall, a guy that just continually kept falling. I, I really wanted him to be a Colt. Thought they would address the secondary. Um, and then they also they trade away a sixth round pick to take a flyer on on former Colts cornerback now. Um, I can't uh, remember his name. I was just texting about him. Oh god, I, this is this is gonna kill me. I got too many names buzzing through my head because of this draft. Oh my god, why can't I find it? I'm gonna give up just because for the sake of time. But really impressed with both of the Giants and the Jets. Um, other teams we want to go through, the Bengals, like what they did, of course, Joe Burrow, slam dunk franchise quarterback. Uh, he followed up with, um, you know, four, they, their first five picks that they took were all top 100 grades for me. Um, I think they reached on T. Higgins. I would have had him end of second round or early third round. He was my wide receiver 11, still a top 100 player. They get two linebackers I was a big fan of. Logan Wilson was my linebacker seven. Akeem Davis Gaithers was my linebacker six, and they got him in the fourth round. And then fifth round, they get Khalid Kareem, uh, defensive end, um, and he was my 12th ranked defensive end in this draft class. Other teams that got their franchise quarterbacks, Dolphins, Chargers, look, the Dolphins, uh, do I think that, you know, they had a lot of picks and didn't do really the most with it? Yes, but they got their their franchise quarterback in Tua. They draft, uh, let me see, just five top 100 players for me, Austin Jackson, um, is more of a project defensively, but a good offensive tackle needs a year or two. Noah Igmanogene, um, top slot corner in this draft class. Uh, and sure, it's a bit of a reach at round one. I gave a round two grade on him, but you know where you're going to put him. You're going to put him in the slot uh, with, um, with excuse me, Xavier Howard and uh, Jones. Jesus, so many names in my head right now. Byron Jones on the outside. So they go Robert Hunt, who was my third-ranked interior offensive lineman in the second round. Great pick. And then all the way in the fifth round, they get Curtis Weaver, a defensive end that definitely dropped a bunch. He was my 11th-ranked defensive end. So solid pick there. Of course, in between, they go Raekwon Davis, Brandon Jones. They had a ton of picks. I thought they they killed it. Um, Chargers, like I said, getting Justin Herbert, my quarterback, too. Top 10 grade uh, in this draft class for me. Thought they nailed it. Um, and then they come back into the first round and, and take Kenneth Murray, who was my linebacker three behind Patrick Queen and Isaiah Simmons. So, look, you know, most draft classes, and we'll talk about this with one of my top five teams as well, too. You can usually, it's a good draft if you can get two or three really good impact players. Um, at the very least, the Chargers got two in Justin Herbert and Kenneth Murray in that first round. Of course, value guys like KJ Hill in round seven, Joshua Kelly running back in round four could all have a uh, decent impact as well, too. And then, let me see, just to make sure I get these last two in there before going to my top five. 
Um, the Buccaneers, they got my top tackle and my top safety in the first two rounds. Um, took a couple running backs in the third and seventh round, just guys to, to throw into the room. Maybe Keyshawn Vaughn can help out with Ronald Jones, or I don't know what that running back room is necessarily going to look like, um, but could be some value in there. Tyler Johnson, whew, I've seen a lot of different opinions on Tyler Johnson. I didn't have him in my top 15. Um, some people really like him for some reason, so if he pans out and I'm wrong, that's a good pick in the fifth round. Um, but like I said, Tristan Wirfs in round one, um, he was my favorite tackle. And then Antoine Winfield Jr. is my favorite safety, so shout out to them. And then, of course, i got to give honorable mention. I didn't put him in my top five, but the Indianapolis Colts, I think, did the perfect job of, of putting themselves in a win-now situation, but also planning for the future. You know, second round, they go offense-offense. Michael Pittman uh, out of USC, who was my seventh-ranked uh, wide receiver, best available after day one. Um, he is going to be great for Phillip Rivers in that Mike Williams-type role. Um, a lot of post-corner routes, solid there. Jonathan Taylor, running back uh, two for me. They got him. Um, they traded up to the 41st overall pick to select him. Um, those two picks are great for now and, and great for the future because T.Y. Hilton is getting up there in age. He was hurt a little bit last year, hurt a little bit the year before as well, too. Um, so you think, okay, we need to at least get ourselves a number two for the next few years to eventually groom him into the number one role when T.Y. Uh, is no longer um, either playing with the Colts or playing in general. And then Jonathan Taylor is a great pick because what's the one thing that Chris Ballard is not going to do that's pay a running back? Marlon Mack's contract is up after the season. They are not going to trade him. They've said so far at the very least. Uh, but now you've got four years of a very talented running back uh, between a filthy offensive line and you don't have to pay Marlon Mack for all of the success he's had over the last several years. Um, they go Julian Blackman in the third round, Jacob Eason in the fourth, which, um, look, project, but he's got great quarterbacks around him to learn from, Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. Uh, and, and look, if they can tap into the potential, there's a lot of arm talent there. I'm not the biggest fan. I gave him a third-round grade, but they were able to get him the fourth, so I think it's good value for the pick. And then some solid day three guys like a Danny Pinter, um, offensive Lineman, Robert Winsdor, uh, Sesmon Patmon, uh, wide receiver, and Jordan Glasgow, linebacker, who'll be a special teams guy uh, for certain. Also, you you, you got to uh, give them some respect for landing uh, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, respect the specs. Probable uh, replacement for Adam Vinatieri. So those are my honorable mentions. There's a lot of them. Try to go through them as quick as possible. But let's go into the top five, and I'll try and get this in within, you know, the next seven to ten minutes. So, number five, I've got the Denver Broncos. John Elway is desperate to make this thing work with Drew Locke, and I'm a big Drew Locke fan, so I think they can do it. They went offense heavy and nailed it. Jerry Judy, my wide receiver three, they got him at pick 15. I love CeeDee Lamb, and he was still available, but I'm not going to hate on it. Then they go back wide receiver with K.J. Hamler in the second round, who also I had given a second-round grade. He was my 10th-ranked wide receiver. So you think Sutton and Judy on the outside, Hamler in the slot, great three uh, wide receiver set there. Then they go Michael Oyemudia. I'm going to botch that. Um, In the third round, he was my 9th-ranked cornerback, um, but they got him in the third, which is where I had valued him. And then a pretty big steal for me, six picks later, they get Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, who's my second-ranked interior offensive line. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he was my second-ranked interior offensive line, a solid guard there as well, too. You go into day three. They get uh, Natain Muti, my seventh-ranked interior offensive lineman. And then seventh round, Derek Zucka, Tuska, Derek Tuska, out of North Dakota State, uh, defensive end, linebacker, sack specialist. I believe I had a top 100 grade on him. Let me double-check just to make sure. This was one of my favorite guys that just kept falling and falling. I was, I was pretty surprised to see him continue to drop. I think I had a second-round grade on him. Let me just pull it up to make sure. He was my... Yeah, he. I got a second-round grade on him. He was my seventh-ranked defensive, defensive end, edge, outside linebacker type guy. And he fell all the way to the seventh. I was already talking with um, a couple Broncos fans that I know, and I, I thought that that was a, a really good get. Uh, that late in the draft. So Denver Broncos really impressed with what they were able to pull in. Like I said, that's one, two, three, four, five players in my top 100. Uh, hats off to the Broncos and especially doing it right, um, building some protection around that offense, knowing that you're going to get good defense anyways with um, with your defensive-minded head coach and already talent uh, there as well too. So they're at number five. Number four, like I said earlier, um, I think if you can come away with two or three impact players, that's a, considered a great draft, and the New Orleans Saints did just that. Um, they got my number one interior offensive lineman, Cesar Ruiz, who can play center, he can play guard. He was the only interior offensive lineman to receive a first-round grade from me, so solid pick there. Then... Look, I get maybe the concerns over what position he plays, but Zach Bond falling to the third round is great value for the New Orleans Saints. And then following it up with my tight end two, Adam Trotman out of Dayton um, with one of their comp picks at the end of round three. They also bring in Tommy Stevens with the seventh round pick and quarterback, just a guy to have there. But man, look, they got two first round talents one, uh, one third-round talent, um, and look, I think all three of those players will be key contributors. Cesar Ruiz, definitely. Uh, Bond, definitely. And, and Trotman, I mean, look, the Saints still need tight end help, so he's a, he's a huge upside guy there um, for them, too. So, Saints at number four. Number three, they were my big winner after day one, but it, it died down, I guess, a little bit um, toward the end of day two and day three. I think they had, let me just count right now to make sure, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 day 3 picks, that is the Minnesota Vikings. Um, they started off, of course, with one of the steals to me at pick 22, Justin Jefferson, my fourth ranked wide receiver, I've done that twice now. Uh, they come back in at the end of the first round to take Jeff Gladney, my fifth ranked corner. Then they go second round, middle of second round, Ezra Cleveland, offensive tackle, 7 in this class for me. And then third round, pick 25, he was my cornerback. He was my next cornerback that was taken off of my top 100, Cameron Dantzler, uh, corner there too. You go through the day three picks, a lot of good value guys. James Lynch out of Baylor, Troy Dye out of Oregon. Um, they even go in the seventh round and get uh, one of my top 100 pass rushers in Kenny Walekes. Uh, just really impressed with the Vikings addressing need and getting great value for some of those picks. They need help on the offensive line. Okay, we bring in Ezra Cleveland. They need help at wide receiver. We lost Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson. We need help in the secondary because we lost um, because we lost Xavier Rhodes. Let's get in Jeff Gladney. 
three solid picks. Um, you know, if you think they can bring back in Everson Griffin, I think that's why they didn't address Edge that early on. I apologize for my dog. Uh, you hear him growl. I think he's mad at the rain for some reason. But I really like what the Vikings did here. They addressed all of their needs uh, and got great value for the guys that they took. So hats off to them. Number two, man, like I was saying, how the Philadelphia Eagles could have taken themselves and, and bumped themselves into Super Bowl uh, contention. The Dallas Cowboys just wiped the floor with them. You take a look at the difference in between what both of these teams were able to bring in. I mean, the Cowboys did a phenomenal job. They get my number one wide receiver, C.D. Lamb, in the first round, a guy that I had given uh, top 10 value to. Then you go in the second round, they get um, my eighth-ranked cornerback in Trayvon Diggs. Sure, I had a few guys that were still ahead of him available, but um, he's a good fit for the Dallas scheme. Then they get my fifth-ranked defensive tackle, Neville Gallimore, who has great upside in the middle of that defense in round three. Of course, one of the fastest falling guys, or the, the craziest fast falling guys, is Bradley Anae, defensive end. They get him in the fifth round. Um, they get Tyler Biedas, I said that probably wrong too, and then Reggie Robinson in the fourth round. Uh, they bring in two JMU guys, so sure, I give a little love there. It was cool to see Ben DiNucci get drafted and Rondell Carter to get an invite and get a contract as an uh, undrafted free agent. But like I was saying with the Saints, you know, they landed, um, they landed, you know, three guys that I think can be instant impact players. I think the Cowboys have it l at least three, if not four, um, and they have a, a top 10 talent in there in CeeDee Lamb. That offense is going to be amazing, and it also sets you up in a position where you can figure out what to do with Amari if the contract becomes a little too rich one day. You can figure out if you need to move on from Michael Gallup instead of extending him and paying him big. The Cowboys did a great job uh, to surround help around Dak Prescott. They address needs defensively. Reggie Robinson, I probably would have liked, and Trevon Diggs, I probably would have liked, you know, maybe my corner five or four to come off the board first. But uh, solid value for where they were picking, being in the late teens of each round. And, and, and man, if if the Dallas Cowboys with Mike McCarthy are still in that range where they're nine and seven at the end of next season. I don't get it because I think they absolutely knocked this draft out of the park. And then number one, the only team to, I think, really do better than anybody else and to do better than the Dallas Cowboys, it's the Baltimore Ravens. They crushed it. They crushed this draft. Patrick Queen was my linebacker, too. They got him at pick 28. J.K. Dobbins, my third-ranked running back, they got him at the end of round two. Justin Matabuke... My fourth-ranked defensive tackle got him in round three. Devin Duvernay, third-round grade on him, got him in the third round. And then Malik Harrison, my fifth-ranked linebacker, a second-round grade for me. They landed at the end of the third round. They go Tyree Phillips, Ben Breedson, Broderick Washington Jr., uh, Geno Stone of safety in the seventh round. I mean, how do you let the Ravens get this much better in one draft? Like, it's like you idiots. You let a filthy defense... Add Patrick Queen, Justin Matabuke, and Malik Harrison in the first two days. You let them do that. Oh, and you let them get one of the top running backs available to an already lethal attack now. I mean, you go through that that list. It's it's Mark Ingram. It's J.K. Dobbins. It's uh, Justice Hill. There's one other guy. I'm forgetting. Alex Collins. I mean, God. They, 
like I said with the Ravens last year, this is the start of, of one mantra from top to bottom, from ownership down to the last guy in the roster. One uh, unified look as a franchise, and this draft just speaks to it. They're going to build up front. They're going to bludgeon you every play of every game, and they're going to win doing so. And sure, I was a little worried with Lamar at the end of the, the postseason where he looked a little uh, lost out there when they ended up losing to the Titans, and, and you know they had to come from behind. But man, I mean, you let this defense get that much better. You added some key contributors on offense in DuVernay and J.K. Dobbins. Ravens knocked this one out of the park. They nailed it. So like I said, overall, it was a fun draft. I think ESPN uh, and NFL Network, I think the NFL, they did a great job being able to uh, put this on for everybody. Um, it was great to have you know a, a national sports event again, and I hope we get some soon um, down the road. But I think a lot of teams did a really good job here. Like I said, it was really tough for me to get out, you know, a top five. You know, I had probably 12 or 13 teams that deserve praise for what they did in this draft. And um, and I, I did harp on, on my five least favorite there, but I really think the majority of the league did themselves a favor in this draft and, and really hit on a lot of key needs. Um, <clears throat> the one team that I didn't even mention, and let's just talk about them for a second, the Patriots. Let me warn you. The Patriots are going to go Navy football this year. They're going to go Army football. They're going to win games 12-9, to 9 and they're not going to give a fuck about it. All these teams are going so pass-happy now. The Kansas City Chiefs, you've got offenses like them being replicated um, in, in their own division with the Raiders and the Chargers and the Broncos. you got all these teams that are going pass-happy, which has counteracted and made defenses need to get speed, quickness, um, you know, smaller frames. And what New England did in this draft is they said, okay, your defense is getting smaller and faster. We are going to get bigger, slower, and we are going to bludgeon you down your throats. I mean, look at all these picks. They take a safety, defensive end, linebacker, tight end, tight end, kicker, interior offensive lineman, offensive tackle, linebacker, interior offensive lineman. They're going to win games. They're going to win games 12 to 6. 12 to 6. They're going to shut you down on defense. They're going to run the ball down your throats in two tight end formations, a few play actions. It's going to be the easiest job in the world for Jared Stidham to do. He's going to hand the ball off 40 times a game. And oh my God. I, I, I said this uh, I at the beginning of last year. I said that this was going to be their approach. They had some injuries on offense. They lost interior offensive linemen. They lost their fullback. Um, and they had to resolve, you know, they had to lean on the pass game more. But, I mean, as long as everybody comes back healthy, I know David Andrews is cleared to play. Um, and what they did in this draft, I mean, they got some some bad motherfuckers that are just going to bludgeon you at the line of scrimmage. And, and... You know, Kyle Duggar was a bit of a reach for me. I had a third-round grade on him. Josh Uche was uh, my fourth-ranked uh, outside linebacker, defensive end, edge guy. He got taken at the end of the second, but oh my god! You know, the Patriots. I I, I don't I, I didn't have them in my top five favorites because they didn't steal a lot of names that I loved. But with the philosophy that they're going to put forward on the football field next year, they did a great job. And and. Just a warning. If you're expecting fun games like we, you know, like the Chiefs put on next season from the Patriots or any of their opponents, don't because it's going to be low scoring, a lot of field goals, very few touchdowns, and and I really think that's how the Patriots are gonna um, elevate themselves 
you know, without the the firepower of, you know, Tom Brady and talented wide receivers and Rob Gronkowski, they don't they're not gonna do that. They're not gonna go out there like they did in the early two thousands with Wes Walker and Julian Edelman, all these slot guys and and it's it's literally just going to be can you take ten hard hitting men tracking you down play after play after play after play for sixty minutes? They're going to beat the will out of you. And that's going to be the way the Patriots are going to win games. And this draft shows you exactly that blueprint for next year. Teams should be afraid. All right, we're at the 52-minute mark. This might be the longest pod I've done for quick hits. Um, but, look, we don't have sports coming in that often. I'm going to try and – and my plan now is we don't really have a whole lot to discuss. We've recapped the draft. Free agency is done. Um I think maybe this is the point where we just start doing some maybe some interviews, bring some guys in um, about about their teams and their halls. Of course, when we get closer toward you know when we know the football season is going to be happening, we'll get some season previews in, team previews. But I think at this point, you know, for the NFL, I think we might just be looking at some some fun things to do here. Maybe some redrafts um, because those are pretty fun to do looking back at previous draft classes. Um, but. We'll figure all that out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing sports, but, but hopefully this is all for the right reason and eventually we can get uh, some guys out on the football field again. So thank you guys so much for listening again to Quick Hits. Make sure to uh, like, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, um, tweet it out. Let me, let, me, uh, let me know what you think about it. Let me know if you disagree with me on my favorite or least favorite drafts. I appreciate the feedback. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace for all my football takes. Um, and kind of insight on that um, and occasionally a few uh, stone tweets out there when I'm thinking how uh, wise I am but appreciate y'all I'll talk to you soon and uh, thanks for listening peace